first of all, there's mobile quarterbacks, and then there's Lamar Jackson. I think you put him in a different bracket. You could probably say Jalen is probably is similarly as fast, but you're not going to meet too many quarterbacks that run like like Lamar does. Um, I'd say that because what didn't he break all Mike Vick's records? You know, if you, you look at what he's able to do in the air, on the ground, um, you know, if he if black and purple doesn't pay him, black and gold will. You know, like um, that's not a midseason pitch. That's just um, just saying. Um, I think that. You know, he's explosive and everything he does. I mean, there's a reason why he was NFL MVP. Back here on Inside Black and Gold, my name is Jeff Nowak, alongside Steve Gellin, joined by host of Lockdown Ravens and managing editor for Ravenswire, Kevin Ostriker. That was Cam Jordan. Maybe a little bit of campering going on with uh, with some of that. But, you know, he, he did bring up what I think is a good point, which is like, we talk about mobile quarterbacks as if it's this kind of catch-all term. But, like... Lamar is different. Like <laughs> Lamar just does it different. You know, it's impossible. Like the Saints brought in Brett Hundley, a guy who's familiar with the Ravens. You know, they have Mark Ingram as well, who I think can give them some insight into that offense. And the point of bringing in Brett Hundley, Dennis Allen told us, was they went, wanted to have a scout team quarterback that could quote unquote simulate Lamar. But, you know, we all know that like you can't simulate that. Like he is that unique. You know, what does make him so difficult to defend in that in that offense. Yeah, there's no simulating Lamar Jackson. And I think part of it is because the Ravens have built their offense for him. When they drafted him back in 2018, they understood that they, this would be a project to be able to get the right coaching staff, the right personnel around him to tailor to his skill set specifically, which, you know, when you're talking about traditional pocket passer, stay in the pocket. He's different and he's different in a, an extremely good way. He has grown so much as a passer over the course of his four plus seasons in the NFL. We've seen the deep ball accuracy improve still a bit spotty, but it has improved. We've seen the decision-making improve and we've seen a couple not so great ones, but we've seen him also just be smarter on the football field. We've seen him take the check downs, but we've also seen the accuracy improve as well. Where look coming out of college. There were certainly some things he had to improve on. He wasn't a perfect player and it, it became a lot of, Oh, well he should play running back or he should play wide receiver, which for a talent as good, as good as Lamar Jackson is, is very disrespectful in, in a lot of different ways. But I think now what you, have is a, is a talent that can do so many different things to put stress on a defense you have to account for him with his arm because he's grown in that category but the fact of the matter is his legs are still as big of a, as a threat even more of a threat because he's grown in that area too Baltimore has also put an offensive line around him a very good offensive line Lamar Jackson is a very good pocket passer I know some people don't believe that I don't know how people don't believe that because the stats are there but part of it is the re- is the reason that he is a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable when he is not getting pressured. I mean, last year the Ravens had Alejandro Villanueva at left tackle, and that just did not go well whatsoever. It was getting pressured every single time he dropped back, and it ended up resulting in a season-ending injury for him when he ended up having a bone bruise in his ankle. So now we've seen the improvements. He has done a big body transformation where he's put on a ton of muscle, and he just, he he looks a lot cooler, calm, and collected. Now I will say the first three weeks. We saw him in that MVP conversation. He was slicing and dicing defenses up. The, before the Tampa game, though, those last four weeks, we definitely did see a drop-off in play by him. Against Cleveland, he only had nine completions, 16 attempts total. But then I think we saw the first half Buccaneers offense. The Ravens were really trying to spread the Bucs out because their, their secondary is decimated right now. They, they were trying to spread them out, figure out if they could pass the football. It didn't work. So they adjusted in the second half. They went to more of a ground-heavy approach with the sprinkle of the pass offense in there, especially without Mark Andrews 
and Rashad Bateman. And it worked. And it, it's given a lot of people confidence here because I think Lamar Jackson in that offense, a more balanced one, obviously, is, is a threat to do so many different things. So I think for him being able to have that connection with Devin DuVernay, when Mark Andrews comes back, have that too. It's all super important because he's such a great thrower and he's such a great runner. Looking at this Baltimore defense, it always seems to be a strength of the team. Getting those takeaways has been so big for them this year. And that's been a big an Achilles heel, I guess, of the Saints squad uh, this season, both giving away the football and not being able to take it away. And a guy that went over there and Marcus Williams, I know, started out hot, but then ended up injured. How's his progress going and just uh, overall reactions to his presence in Baltimore? Yeah, it's, it's super unfortunate we're not going to see the Marcus Williams show uh, come to New Orleans on Monday night, but it, partially because he was playing so well for the Ravens. When they signed him to a five-year, $70 million contract, a lot of people didn't think the Ravens would shell out that money to a safety, especially after what happened with Earl Thomas a couple years right. ago where it almost seemed rushed. The fit wasn't there from a personality perspective. On the field, it was great. He was, a, he was a great player on the field for them, but off the field, it was just an absolute disaster. But Marcus Williams off the field is an absolute pleasure in and he's someone who has, has bought in to Baltimore. And over those first couple of weeks, you know, I had three interceptions through, I think, six quarters or something. He, he was unbelievable making crazy toe taps. He, he had a, he picked off a pass when he was on the ground. So he, he's a big playmaker. And I think for Baltimore, adding him to a room with rookie Kyle Hamilton and Chuck Clark in there, too, was one of their biggest strengths. Now he goes down. You got to rely on a couple other people. In terms of his progress, he ended up dislocating his wrist, I believe the injury was, and actually played through it for, I think, a quarter or two. I think he dislocated it on the first play of the game a couple weeks ago, and I think he ended up leaving the game at halftime. So he toughed it out, made a couple tackles, but he's someone who isn't going to be back for this one, obviously still on injured reserve, but should be back before the season is over, according to John Harbaugh. So if Baltimore is able to rattle off some wins here, they could get even more reinforcements on that defense. I do always think it's funny when there's the Saints have it with Ohio State, where if a player went to Ohio State and you feel comfortable with that kind of evaluation, you're bringing them in. I feel like the the Saints are the Ohio State of the Ravens, where like if there's a guy in a free agency and they need a guy at that position, we're like, okay, Willie Sneed, come on down. You know, Mark Ingram, come on down. Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, the, the list goes on. And I do think it's it's interesting because there's clearly, you know, it's it's not a coincidence at a certain point. It's like there's a team that feels like the culture and the and the the development in an organization is good and they wanna and they wanna build off that. That's just an aside for me. But you know, it it is kind of interesting when when you constantly keep getting the same locker room filtering into another one. Or at least I think so. I'm not I'm curious how you feel about that. No, no, it it, it well, it's funny because the Ravens college program is Alabama and it has been for a while, where obviously right. Eisen Newsom, who was their former general manager, still involved with the team, he has the Alabama connection. So it was always, oh, if there's an Alabama player on the board, Baltimore's gonna like, always watch out for Baltimore. And so it was always they took an Alabama player in this draft with Jalen Armour Davis. But yeah, it, it is funny that sometimes it the cross connections like i know james hurst for baltimore you know yep. now is in new orleans well lots as we talked about so mm -hmm. some of those saints ravens connections actually more common than i think some people might think it is yeah i, I mean i think these two you know obviously sean payton's gone but it was kind of these two long-standing coaches and they they i'm sure they had a, they had a connection there you know but kind of just shifting shifting that a little bit and it's like okay we know about the names that we know about give me a few names whether it's on offense or defense maybe one from each that this is the player that Saints fans don't know about right now, but there's a good chance when they're walking out of the dome, they're like, I hate that guy. 
<laughs> I think okay so we'll start with offense I'm gonna give you two for offense and one is one is in case so my in case player is Isaiah likely obviously mm-hmm. that is in case Mark Andrews does not play in this game likely was a fourth rounder out of coastal Carolina a lot of people are wondering you know just where is his fit on an offense because obviously he's a tight end but he is a receiver you, you can line him about wide you can put him in the slot he had a breakout game against Tampa with 80 80 plus yards in a t- or maybe it was 70 plus yards in a touchdown six catches for him so if Andrews isn't able to go in this one, my, people are thinking, oh, well, Mark Andrews isn't there. They don't have any tight ends. Well, likely, I think, Flash. And I know the Saints have been pretty good against tight ends this year in a vacuum. But overall, likely could be somebody. But the one that I would look out for is Patrick Ricard, the fullback, that nobody really seems to know about. And obviously, you can think, well, fullbacks, those are like extinct nowadays. Like, what are you talking about? But he, the Ravens have still long valued that fullback position, going back to guys like Leron McLean, Vonta Leach, Kyle Juszczyk before San Francisco. And you have now Patrick Ricard, who actually converted defensive lineman from Maine a couple of years ago. And he he does a lot. He lines up in line for them. He can play in – they motion him a ton. He also can catch some passes out of the backfield, maybe in the flat. And he's just a do-it-all type player where he is a very important player in their run game. Also in the pass game can make a couple things happen. He'll drag defenders on his back for like 10 yards here or there sometimes. So that's offense for me. Defensively, I'm going to go defensive line for this one with two guys, Justin Matabike, who has played phenomenal football for them. Third round pick out of Texas A&M in 2020 and he is now starting to find his stride really improved in run defense it's a great interior pass rusher the Ravens trying to maybe monitor and Clayus Campbell missed the game against Tampa in week eight but you got to monitor snaps of the veterans like Clayus Campbell like Brent Urban so Matabike has played a much bigger role this year and then Broderick Washington same draft class although Texas Tech for him he was a fifth rounder he is he got his hands on I think two or three batted balls on Thursday night against Tampa, he also has solidified himself as a great run defender. So for Baltimore, if they want to stop Alvin Kamara in that offense, in the run offense at least, got to be able to do it up in the trenches and even free up some space for guys like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to shoot those gaps and make those tackles. Now, you mentioned just now Patrick Queen is a guy, obviously, New Orleans fans know very well here from LSU. How would you say his development's gone since arriving in Baltimore? And also, what were his reactions basically to Roquan Smith being added? Yeah, for Queen, he has been, I think, the definition of an up and down player, but we are on a high upswing right now with Patrick Queen. He is playing much more confidently this year. I think he trusts himself. He trusts his teammates a lot more this year. And I think he acknowledges and understands that, look, it's been a kind of a rocky first couple of years for him in Baltimore where the highs have been very high and the lows have been very low. But we're seeing him now diagnose a lot better. I think the game has slowed down. And sometimes it just takes a couple of years to get acclimated. Queen was taken in 2020. So obviously a lot of things were different back then in terms of like the rookies didn't have a mini camp and they had to come in straight up and do stuff like that. So he was a part of that draft class. And so for a player in Queen who – some people pegged as more of a not developmental guy, but he definitely needed to have some more playing time under his belt. I think now we're really starting to see those returns with him, and he's turned into a very, very solid player for him. So hopefully that trend can continue. In terms of Roquan Smith, he, he's ecstatic. He said he was ecstatic about the move, said that it's really exciting for him to be able to play off a guy like that, to learn from a player like Roquan Smith. So it doesn't seem like there are any hard feelings whatsoever. It seems like quite the opposite, where he's actually really, really excited to have him as a teammate. Yeah, and we've seen a few players like that with the Saints as well. That slow development, those COVID years, not having the OTAs, those preseason games, it really hurt the development of a lot of those young players. 
It did. I mean, the Ravens in that class invested a lot. Guys like Queen, they got J.K. Dobbins in that draft, Matt Abike, Devin Duvernay, Brasher Washington, guys we've talked about here today. And for Queen, they even got Malik Harrison out of Ohio State, talking about Ohio State in that draft. So I think for Baltimore, they are now starting to see the returns of that 2020 draft class, where the third year is always kind of big for players regardless. But I think for the 2020 class across the entire, it's not just even Baltimore, across the entire NFL, without having those offseason workouts and the mini camps and the preseason games, it was like taking away an offseason in person with coaches and being able to work on your craft, say, hey, you can do this well, but you need to improve on this. So we're starting to see those returns now which I think is great because the 2020 class I thought had a ton of potential for Baltimore. And now we're starting to really see it. All right. And we've been talking to Kevin Ostriker, host of Lockdown Ravens. Go check it out. Go behind enemy lines and research, if you will. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go here, but I do, you know, what is your read? You know, cause I think the saints are kind of on that fringe of where the season could go either way. I think the Ravens yeah. are, you know, every team you're five and three or three and five, you're still in it. You know, what is your read on, you know, where where this team is headed, where the Ravens are headed right now, and what what is your kind of prediction for this matchup? Well, I think for where the Ravens are headed for the rest of the season, their schedule actually really softens up now until the end of the season. Now, th- this season's been really weird in terms of there just hasn't been a ton of great football played outside of the top, like, two or three teams in each conference. Right. But so, I mean, any, any given Sunday can be an upset, but with Baltimore playing a fourth place schedule this year, because they did finish last in their division last season, they bring in Roquan Smith. They're getting back Tyus Bowser and David Ajabo. feels like Bowser could suit up here on Monday night, which would be big for him. And then also the, the return of Marcus Williams. I think that they have the clear path to win the AFC North this season, especially how Joe Burrow looked on Monday night against Cleveland without Jamar Chase. So, you know, I'm sure they're wishing for him to come back soon. And I think for the, this matchup in particular, I think it's going to be a lot closer than some people anticipate. I have Baltimore winning. I actually thought it was going to be a loss in my preseason predictions, but I just think, you know, with, with no Michael Thomas in this one, some iffy injuries reports for the Saints this week, and the Ravens have some guys down too. But I'm going to say 30-24 to 24 Ravens in a game that is a little bit higher scoring than maybe some people think, but in a primetime matchup, this will be Baltimore's last of the season, unless there's some flex later in the season that – and maybe we will get that, but I think Baltimore wins at 30 to 24 in a game that again is closer than some people think it is. Now I'm conflicted because I have Lamar Jackson in my two QB league and I'm seven and one. And I'm feeling really good about it, but now it's like, Oh, what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> I'm in, I think 10 leagues this year. I have, I have every player and I play against every player every week. That's, that's what it is for me. <laughs> you got to figure though. Lamar's a must start every week though. Oh, hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I've been terrible in this league every year. And this probably gets cut from the podcast, whatever. I've been terrible in this league every year. And this year, it's a two QB league. And I just was so very much in the late round QB mode. I always want to wait until like the eighth or 10th round. But in in a two QB league, you just got to go get them. Mm -hmm. And so this year, and I always suck in this league. And this year I went second round. I took Joe Burrow. Third round, I took Lamar Jackson. Okay, I'm yeah. seven and one. Yeah, that's so. how we're. I mean, I, for me, I took Patrick Mahomes in like the third round or fourth round in like every league I was because Lamar. I do. I do locked on Ravens league, so a lot of the people in the more Ravens fans. So Lamar goes like number one overall, or right. Like yeah, right. First round. So I took and Josh Allen goes like you know second. So I took Mahomes and everybody's like you're taking a quarterback in like the fourth round. Like what are you doing? But he's been great. And it's funny. I, I did a draft for my friend in a two quarterback league, but I didn't realize it was two quarterbacks until it was too late. So I was getting like Tyree kill in the fourth round. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, you know, you have Geno Smith going like the second round and that was even before his breakout. So unfortunately yeah. for him, I ended up getting him Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. So you can imagine how that's going. 
Yeah, and I can't even brag. And my two, I'm looking at my league right now. My two QB league, I've got Aaron Rodgers and currently Tyler Heineke because uh, <laughs> of my hor- my horrible uh, Jameis Winston pick. Yeah, you gotta uh, you gotta suck it up. My problem is I didn't check the bye weeks, and Joe Burrow and Lamar yeah, Jackson are yeah, both fun. on bye next week. So I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have to start Taysom Hill at quarterback. <laughs> oh my! I don't even know if you can do that in most leagues. Can you still do that in a lot you of the can actually? Oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, he is the rare either. quarterback tight end dual eligibility player. Wow. Yeah, I know there was controversy about that a couple of years ago, where he was like right. putting up 20 points every week as a tight end because he was playing quarterback for him. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Yeah, that was just an aside. I like to I like to bitch about my fantasy team. Um. <laughs> But all right, this has been this has been a great talk. Thanks so much, Kevin. Check out Lockdown Ravens, Ravens Wire. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It was great. And again, looking forward to the game. I think it'll be actually a really good one. Appreciate it, Kevin. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Inside Black and Gold. Kind of weird because we still got a few days to kill before we get into this actual matchup. But hey, you'll have plenty of time to watch LSU lose by 40 points to Alabama on Saturday and not feel bad about staying up late watching it. Because you don't have a noon start. I mean, that's that's my take. I don't think it's going to be a close game. But that's fine. You can yell at me on Twitter later. My name is Jeff Nowak. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak alongside Steve Geller. Steve Geller, WWL. Check out the latest news at WWL.com. Hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Check us out in WWL Sports. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Do that whole thing. Do that whole song and dance. We always do appreciate it. And we'll be hitting you back on Monday after the game. I'm taking LSU in the 13 and a half. Don't be wrong. Peace, y'all.